welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. We are without Dr. Bradley J. Hines today. The sad day. Cue the, cue the sad music. I know. He has other obligations today, helping with some shows, doing fun things, probably more fun than hanging out with us, but I don't know. We're pretty fun. Yeah. And like being a good dad to his kids and stuff, I guess. Yeah. Pretty important stuff. Yeah. Pretty important yeah. stuff, I guess. But otherwise, it's just Emily and I today. You're stuck with us. We're going to talk today about the basics of mastitis. Not going to get super in-depth because uh, we don't have time to cover it all. There's so much to talk about. But we want to set the stage for future episodes where we have guests on and other experts as we talk about all the all that has to do with milk quality and mastitis and prevention, control, treatment, all those things. But we're going to get into the basics today. Emily loves mastitis. It's one of her things. I do. I've always been like a big milk quality person. And I love talking about mastitis and writing articles about mastitis and recording podcasts about mastitis. It's it's very important topic. I mean, it's a big deal. And, and we got to gotta have good, high quality milk. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the thing that, that always is kind of linked right away with mastitis is somatic cell count. And, and clearly they're related. One doesn't necessarily mean the other, but they are definitely correlated very heavily. Mm-hmm. So we, we talk about somatic cell count all the time, and that would be abbreviated as SCC. So if you see that out there, that's what we're talking about, somatic cell count. But it, it, it's an indication of inflammation uh, and or infection and cleanliness, general cleanliness. And, and we care about it because it affects the shelf life of milk. So the lower we can get that somatic cell count, the higher quality that milk is and the longer it lasts on the shelf. So it, it is very important. The days of premiums are kind of gone, but uh, but they're still out there in some cases. And so, uh, and well, and I I know that more co-ops have been kind of switching to instead of premiums, um, you know, they do penalties. So they will, you know, knock off um, from your milk check if your somatic cell count is too high, because like you said, that impacts the shelf life, and so it impacts just the value of the milk in general for them and and what they can do with it. And so I think that, it, you know, there is still an economic component to it, you know, and, and also cows that are mastitic or even cows that are just chronically high cell count, they don't make as much money. They're losing your money. Uh, all of these things, right? We can always tie it to economics, which I know everybody, including me, loves so much. But there is something to be said for that in any situation, right? And we always talk about the dairy as a system. And so you think about how each piece fits together, right? And what's happening with mastitis management, with cow cleanliness, with somatic cell count, what's happening in the parlor or, you know, during milking, if you're in tie stalls, all that matters and it all fits in. Yeah. I mean, it's a big production issue. You know, mastitis affects your production and and that's probably why we need to care about it the most. But, you know, the somatic cell count thing, you know, it becomes a you know, I mean, times have not been great for dairy farmers. And it's just one more thing that gives you some power when you're working with the creamery to say, no, you really do want my milk because it's low somatic cell count. And and they care about that a lot. So it's, think of it as kind of a reputation, kind of uh, almost job security kind of thing. That's that's how I think about it in some ways. I know that's maybe kind of yeah. a reach, but. No, I don't think it is a, at all because I think of, you know, even 
DHIA, the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, you know, every year they do their recognition of, you know, the low somatic cell count herds and the reason they're recognizing them. And yeah, you're right. I mean, part of it is reputation and just kind of credibility. And, you know, when, I mean, when you see people with somatic cell counts that yearly average is in the double digits, not the triple digits, I mean, to me, that's phenomenal. And to me, that goes, that is a really good farmer or, you know, that's really great management on that farm, whatever they're doing. And for people that say they don't care about that, I don't know that they're lying and and maybe they just don't care, but they should. I agree. I agree. I think I think it is something that you do need to care about. And, and like I said, because it is linked to production, you should care about it because uh, if you can lower that somatic cell, you're most likely lowering mastitis and you're increasing production. So it is all money that's available there, uh, marginal milk that you can pick up. There's all sorts of different bugs that cause mastitis, mastitis being an infection of the udder, uh, inflammation in the udder. And we're not going to get into in depth about all the different ones today. That's that's a huge topic. Um, <laughs> there's some big categories to, that you can think about. You know, there's of course bacteria, bacteria being broken down into gram positive or gram negative. There's things that are kind of like bacteria, but not bacteria. That would be your mycobacteria. There's even uh, things like prototheca, which is a protozoa agent which is infectious to and, and causes mastitis as well. There's all sorts of different things that, that cause mastitis. But those and if are you the, get protofeca, it is bad news. Bad news. It is tough to, to get rid of, Ooh. tough to control, um, very difficult to, to deal with. And it becomes basically just, we don't have a great way to get rid of it, to be honest. Uh, yeah, a lot I, of I don't think it's something you ever fully get rid of. No, like there's a lot of get, testing and surveillance yeah. to figure that out. You get a handle on it. I know a dairy, um, you know, larger dairy at the time, I think they were milking six to 800 cows somewhere in there and they got prototheca. This was a farm that I visited in college, but then still uh, work with today as a part of my extension work. And so I've been out of college for over seven years. And I mean, it's not as bad as it was, but it's still there. It lingers. Oh, it, it definitely does. It's something I ran into in practice a few times and, and it's it's tough to deal with, you know, and you can read the textbook and it'll tell you that prototheca is an issue with standing water. I've been to places that prototheca, there's no standing water anywhere. And uh, yeah, it's a tough one. But yeah. there's all sorts of different things that you have to deal with. Yeah, you just want to remember the big categories because there's definitely recommendations and treatments and options that you, you kind of work towards based on what category your mastitis falls in. The type of bug is one way to look at it. Uh, chronicity is definitely a way to look at it. Do you have a chronic cow that continually becomes infected? Or is this an acute infection that, that clears on its own and that cow doesn't necessarily have further issues because of that? So there's all sorts of different ways to look at it. And I also usually divide them up into thinking about, and maybe you were getting here, Joe, is are they contagious or are they environmental? Yeah, that's a great uh, you know, way to look at it. Because that's a really important thing to know and to understand. So I am a huge proponent for culturing your milk, you know, and, and some people just do a, a bulk tank culture so they get a general feel for what they got going on in the herd. But culturing specific cows is also not a bad idea, you know, because your contagious ones will be things like Staph aureus, Strep egg, uh, Mycoplasma. There's another nasty one. 
you know, and then environmental, that's just from things being dirty. And, you know, we talk a lot about cleanliness on this podcast, and I feel like we'll get plenty of that conversation in today as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think the, there's contagious and environmental two big things to think about. Contagious is it's a mess to deal with, especially when you're talking about myco, like like Emily mentioned, that that is a rough bug as well. Uh, and it's hard to culture, which makes it even worse. Yeah, on-farm culture is a great option if you want to identify exactly what's going on. But even as something as a, a, an occasional bulk tank culture to figure out what's all there, that's a really good way to kind of identify issues before they get out of control if you can. I mean, that's a huge deal. I'm a big fan of culturing fresh cows. You know, I, I like oh, to yeah. culture at freshening if I can. And and on-farm culturing is it's not that hard. It really isn't. There's a, there's an expense to it, but um, there's so many different options now as far as how to read plates and and do it in a really easy way. There's even color coded stuff now. So like you just know Mm -hmm. if it turns a certain color, then it's a certain, you know, if it's gram positive or gram negative or something else. And yeah, that's really, it's really easy to do. It's something that you should talk to your veterinarian about setting up. Yeah. And I think that even with that initial cost in the long run, you probably end up saving money because I'm getting a little ahead here, but we'll go back to talking first about prevention. But if you are in the treatment phase where you do have something, you culture the milk and you know what you have, you can make sure you're treating it with the right tube or whatever type of treatment you may choose to use. And so you can save a lot of money um, because I've seen people that are just, they're using tubes that they don't treat the bugs that that cow has. And so you're, you know, you should just squirt the tube into the gutter. You'll have the same result either way. Yeah, no, I, I think there, there's that that issue of uh, cost saving and then also, you know, judicious use of antibiotics is just something that comes up all the time now. If you are using an antibiotic unnecessarily and there's a way to prevent that, it's always a good option if you can. And and you can justify it by saving money because like, like Am said, it doesn't always require a treatment, first of all, or, you know, the treatment that you're using should be as targeted as possible. Because a lot of times you're going to have something will not actually grow. And those no growths are because that cow has already cleared the infection and is working on it herself. And gram negatives, there's really no reason to treat those with a tube. I mean, we're not going to get it. We're not going to go down that road. There's just too much to yeah. talk about. We'll stop there. I thought there. the That's rabbit hole was opening up. Was, I'm like, yeah. bury it. Shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. Okay. So we're back to prevention. Prevention, again, we, I, I swear we're talking about this every week. Prevention is better than treatment. So many ways to prevent mastitis uh, and, and try to avoid it, minimize it as much as you can on your farm. Emily already kind of opened the door to the biggest one. especially Reason we're number one in preventing yeah. so many things. So many things. And it's really about, especially our environmental mastitis, it's all about being clean. Cleanliness is is so vital on the dairy for, you know, many reasons we've mentioned. We've talked about it in context of calves. You know, we talked about it in context of keeping feed clean, you know, to prevent different digestive issues, whatever it may be. And I mean, especially it is just paramount to effective mastitis management, effective milk quality management, being able to really nip some of those issues in the bud. Because uh, like we already said, the the bugs will kind of fall into two major categories, contagious or environmental. And and environmental, I mean, they they come from a dirty environment, right? What do we know about bacteria? They like it warm and they like it wet. 
And like, where is it warm and wet? Near dirty cows, near manure, wet bedding, you know, pick your poison basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Clean, clean and dry is, is the biggest thing that you need to just keep reminding yourself. If you have a, if you have an issue where you're picking up a lot of environmental mastitis, you just need to walk the barn and anything that's not clean and dry, that's a potential source of mastitis, especially, you know, the closer you get to the parlor as far as puddles and things like that. Because right after you come out uh, of that parlor, that teat sphincter at the end of that teat is wide open. And if they're splashing around and 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 pushing droplets of water or dirty water up onto their udder, that's definitely an issue. And then, I, like Emily said, bedding is a huge source. I think yeah. it, it's pretty hard to to get away from sand now. But yeah, it's got to be dry, clean and dry. Clean and dry. And yeah, it's a great point that you mentioned there, Joe, with the teat sphincter. Um, you know, it's totally relaxed, and yeah, so it's wide open uh, because that's you know, what cows need to do in milk letdown is they're, you know, relaxing that sphincter to let the milk out. And that sphincter typically stays, you know, open or relaxed for, I think it's like 30 minutes, right? And so it's not just, oh, the cows are milked, we're done. It's this constant vigilance thing where even when they're done, that's why we really encourage people to try to have fresh feed available or just, you know, push up feed if you're in a tie stall barn. I remember that was always my job uh, growing up. We milked about 40 cows in a tie stall. And during milking, I was, I was pushing up the feed so that the cows would see, stay standing when they were done uh, before they laid back down. And tie stalls especially have a lot of challenges with the cleanliness thing because uh, we typically aren't seeing sand bedding. It's usually straw or something else that's made of an organic material. And so that is, again, perfect breeding grounds for bacteria. And so... Hi, stall guys. We are not forgetting about you. I will never forget about you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's they, they maybe have to work a little bit harder uh, to, to keep that clean and dry, especially. Okay, so clean and dry. And I think the, the other thing is too, you know, when you're looking about this, like one of the big things I look for is anytime you can multitask, right? So I love to, when I'm at herd check, I don't have to go to the parlor to see if cows are splashing around coming out. I have to look at the backs of the front legs. I can see if there's splashing happening by looking at the cows all the way out in the freestall or wherever the cows are. I don't have to be in the parlor to see a lot of that. So you can notice a lot of things that are that are happening without having to be right around the parlor and, and seeing all of that. Okay, so clean and dry. That's That's number one. Well, and this is maybe where you were going. We're really on the same wavelength today, Joe. Yeah, just too many. Uh, Yes. Keeping things clean and dry. And we were really talking specifically about the barn and the stalls, but also the parlor. And if I had to pick an area that I think we take for granted a little bit and the area that I just, I love to write the most about and teach about a lot and something that, so in, in my former life, um, I interned one summer for a veterinary pharmaceutical company and I sold mastitis tubes all summer. You know, we were really working with people too on just general better management. And a lot of that happens in the parlor. And so I am, whenever I'm on a dairy, like I am the parlor police. I am watching what's, hap watching what's happening. Um, or again, not just parlors, but even in step ups, tie stalls, whatever, flat parlors, whatever you're doing. 
And this is something that uh, Dr. Jeff Renault, Professor Emeritus, used to say all the time. He was really my, my mentor uh, when I was learning a lot about this topic. And he was like, the goal is the same and it's simple. You want to milk clean, dry, well-stimulated teats. And how we make that happen is in the prep procedure. I'm the prep police too. I am very uh, hard on the producers I work with about making sure that they are following some sort of a method that, you know, works for them and for what their labor is, but also really puts that goal as number one. You want clean, dry, well-stimulated teats. There's not a whole lot more to say about that. You know, there, there, there's all sorts of different ways to get there. There's some, you know, pretty much standard practices that to follow when we talk about milk prep. But yeah, that's really what you need. You need a clean, dry, well-stimulated teat. I mean, the only barrier, the biggest barrier I see to that is that there's, there's just, it's just like calves. Like some people just don't like working with calves and some people just don't like milking cows. It, it makes it tough because there's a lot of ways to take shortcuts that you probably shouldn't. Um, and it's really hard to be hard on employees in the parlor because we're always short on labor and we're always worried right. that if I'm too hard on them, well, then I'm going to be doing it because they're going to leave. Right. So I, it's, I, I, there's, we're definitely, again, we paint a lot of things as black and white here. There's a gray yeah. area, but you gotta, you gotta try to work as hard as you can yeah. to get that. We are towing the line and we, we know that. <laughs> we know, we know that there's, there's a gray area. There's some wiggle yeah. room, but yeah, clean, dry, well-stimulated tea, preferably going out with a post dip on yeah. to, yep. to make sure that we're protecting that teeth end as much as we can. Yeah. And something that I always like to to talk to producers about. And also for, for several years, um, I have taught the milk quality and mastitis management uh, session for the Minnesota 4-H Dairy Project members. And so, you know, they take a quiz when they're done, all this. And the big thing we talk about a lot is the times. So the times you need to remember during milking. Pretty easy. 10 to 20 seconds of stimulation to help with milk letdown. 30 seconds of contact time. So uh, you should be using some sort of dip uh, to kill bacteria on the teat surface. That needs to be on there 30 seconds. You know, if you are dipping and then immediately wiping it off, again, you're just kind of wasting your money. And then lastly, one to two minutes, that's prep leg time. So that's how long it should take from the time you first touch the cow or touch her udder uh, to getting the milking machine attached. And so those are things that we just like to keep in mind and because they, they are prevention also, because the thing that we can see a big one is if you don't do enough to stimulate proper milk letdown, because what's going to happen is the vacuum pump on that machine is going to have to work a whole lot harder and it is going to be putting pressure on a teat that is just not letting milk out yet. And so that's where we get to see really rough looking teat ends. Um, you get the little keratin rings around the teat and uh, which you, you don't want to see. And so if you are seeing that, you know, you might want to look into, are you doing enough uh, to stimulate milk letdown in your cows? And it's possible to, uh, you know, have your milking equipment maintenance person come out because your vacuum pump may just be up too high and you just need to have a little less pressure on it too. But that's something that 
I always like to throw in there because that's like, oh yeah, that's right. It is super important because, uh, and, and the way I always think about it is that cow needs to be stimulated for that time, regard, regardless of whether or not you do it. So if you don't, the vacuum pump is going to have to do it. And that is not comfortable for the cow. And it causes issues like Emily just talked about. I mean, there's all sorts of things in the parlor. I think you can get a lot done in the parlor and make sure things are running really, really well with just a couple really, really important things. A stopwatch, which pretty much everyone has on their phone now. Yeah. And then a few I pieces. am that person. Yep. I mean, I am too. I, I've done I'm it. in parlors. I have my phone out and I'm like just watching employees. And Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really important. So a stopwatch is a huge deal and it, it'll get you a long ways. There's also apps out there that allow you to count certain things and it'll count some of that for you. But all you need is a stopwatch. And I think uh, either a really clean white paper towel or a piece of gauze. The old white towel test. Yeah, the old white towel test. I can I can check teat dip coverage. I can check teat end cleanliness to see if everyone's pinching mm-hmm. those ends to make sure there's nothing uh, in the crevices there. And then if I have my stopwatch, I know the times are right. If I have just those two things, I can do a lot in the parlor. And, and to be honest, there's a lot you can see in the parlor, even without cows there. We're going to have to take a break because Emily just froze. Uh, I don't know what's going on with their internet, but uh, we'll take a break. And we're back. And she's back. <laughs> okay, good. I, I have no idea where we were or what we were talking about. Oh, there's a lot you can learn from just looking at the parlor, even with no cows in it. You know, I like looking at to see if employees have been wearing gloves uh, and asking if employees wear gloves because that's a big risk factor. And then I love to look at all the buttons in the parlor. We're back to being really clean. And I can mm. tell if employees have manure all over their hands when they're milking cows because those buttons are covered in manure. Genius. Like I have never thought of that. My mind is blown. That is such a simple thing. Yeah. And I can't, I can't take credit for it. You know, it's something that I learned from Aaron Royster, Dr. Aaron Royster, who runs the Utter Health lab here at the University of Minnesota. It's such a simple thing. Like I can tell so much by walking in the parlor when no one's in there and just looking at the buttons and if they're clean and it's pristine, I'm like, all right, Odds are, at least they have clean hands when they're milking. That I mean, that, and it seems so simple, but it it's nice to see. And Emily just froze again, so we'll be back yet again. Well, it's been a while, and she's still not back, so we're just going to continue. Might even just wrap up this episode. That that's how it's going today. Her internet's been all over the place, so it's just oh, and she's back. Look at that. She's back, and she is pissed. Just angry at the world because internet is not doing well for her today i have a pet peeve i got a pet peeve i hate seeing it let's Um, hear it okay pet peeve of mine and it's actually it's something that's really and the reason it's a pet peeve is because it's hard to deal with and it's really it's a tough conversation to have an employee because the reason that they're doing it is because they want to be clean which is the right attitude but no one should be spraying anything down in the parlor while there's cows milking or being prepped. Okay. So I understand. Yes. Yeah. I understand that you want to get that manure out of there. I know. I understand. Like, obviously it's going to happen where like, okay, she just uh, dropped manure all over the, the claw, right? Like, okay. So yes, you have to wash it off before you right. put it on the cow, but there's, you, you should not be spraying the floor out 
by the cows while they're being prepped or being milked. And, and that is, it's such a simple thing. It's a hard conversation to have because it comes from a good place. They want to be clean, but that should be happening in between cows because you don't want any of that aerosolized and, and getting right. anywhere while you're trying to prep or milk. Mm-hmm. So and that's, that's my another thing too, that, you know, then the cows can start dancing around a little bit and that could impact milk letdown also. And so, yeah, that is such a great point. And now that is also one of my pet peeves. <laughs> well, and, and so I, I'm missing one. Uh, I don't know how we missed it, but low stress is another thing that's been a theme on this, this show. And, and it applies to milking yet again, low stress handling, being calm around the cows, having calm cows come into the parlor will make everyone's lives better. I, I promise. Even if you want to rush and you're trying to push things quickly to get those cows in, it needs to be done in a way that doesn't ramp up their stress because that affects milk let down, like Em said. And then you run into the same problems you had with lack of stimulation. Vacuum pump is working on a on a teat that has no milk yet. That is probably my milking parlor pet peeve. Parlors that are extremely loud or, you know, employees that are yelling at the cows or, you know, when I see often they'll have canes or some sort of sticks and they usually aren't using them on the cows, but they're banging on some piece of equipment, banging on the gate or whatever it might be. That just drives me absolutely bonkers, right? Because you are not creating a good environment for that cow to come into. You are highly impacting milk letdown, right? Because basically you're scaring the cows. And so they're releasing adrenaline and adrenaline is going to block um, their oxytocin. So you have to be thinking about that. And, and another thing is, and I, I go back and forth on it, you know, music in the parlor. I grew up, we always had like an old radio in the barn. The cows always listened to music. So I'm not opposed to it per se, but there are times I have gone in parlors where it is so loud and that is, it's dangerous for the cows. It's dangerous for people, right? I mean, hearing damage that, that sounds a little like dorky and like mom ish of me, but (laughs) it's bad for their hearing. Um, and two, like if, if something is happening from a safety standpoint, right, somebody slips or there's some sort of accident and you can't hear them, you know, your back is to them. So just Thinking about, yeah, how how do you make your parlor or wherever you milk an inviting and welcoming space for all? For for all being the keyword, because yeah, I mean your employees gotta work there too. So it's gotta it can't yeah. be brutally hot or brutally cold. Um and, and I I like music for employees at, at a reasonable volume because it, it makes it a better work environment. And so I think there's a trade-off there. Like like Emily said, it can't be like massively loud. That's crazy. We're going to have to take a break because Emily just froze. You won't know it, but we will be right back. She's back yet again. I swear to God. Okay, we better wrap this pretty quick so that we don't do this all day. I have one other thing that I like talking about uh, when it comes to low stress handling. It's called a crowd gate. Crowd gate. Yeah. It's, It's not a push gate. That's important to know. You're not using it to physically push cows. It's to get in their space and cause them to move up. It should not be touching cows. And it, if it does, it should stop immediately. There should be safety uh, things on there. And you should be checking those to make sure they work. Because there's some. I've been around some really bad situations where that, that crowd gate was used incorrectly or safety mechanisms had been disabled on purpose uh, to, to help push cows. 
uh, with the CrowdGate, and it and it's not for that. So uh, make that's sure that's a really that's good way to injure injure cows too. Absolutely, yeah. I, and there's that's that's why I'm there, right? I'm there because the cows hurt. That's not a situation that I want to see because it's 100% preventable. I think that's got to be the last pet peeve for today because we're running out of oh. time. But I think yeah. we've given. I you like a, this. We need to do more like pet peeve episodes. I think we need to. Yeah, like just <laughs> what's your thing that just makes you irritated? Thank you for listening, everybody. I, hopefully, we've given you some basics, some things to think about. And, and we will be back on this topic again with guests. There's so much to talk about when it comes to milk quality and mastitis. If you have questions, comments, ideas, scathing rebuttals, send them to the Moose Room at umn.edu. That is T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Send those things there, and then you can catch us on the website at extension.umn.edu. Check us out on Facebook at umnbeef and at umndairy. Again, thank you for listening. Bradley will be back next week. Don't worry. We miss you, Brad. We miss you. Bye. (laughs) Fat (laughs) Pac-Man. Yeah. Okay. Thick Pac-Man. Thick Pac-Man. Two C's. Yeah. (laughs) Big old Pac-Man.